We're trying new things, which is always challenging. So if I end up throwing something up here, it's because nothing's working the way I want it to. No, it's, we'll just go back to old school with the clicker. That's why I have it up here, just in case. Okay, we're going old school. I figured out how to use the clicker finally uh, to get through the PowerPoint and everything. Get, let's start over. Morning, family. It's good to see you all. Glad you're here. Glad we have some visitors with us this morning. If you haven't filled out one of the cards yet, please, please do stick around so we can get to know you a little better. As we're, if you're here for a time or here for permanent, we'd love to, love to get to know you better. We have a few announcements we need to talk about before we get into our sermon from 2 Peter this morning. I want to remind everyone that starting this Wednesday, the elders have asked that we present a three-week series on transgenderism, God, and me, looking at the subject of transgenderism from a biblical perspective. That's going to be for all adults and kids in the youth program to be here in the auditorium on those Wednesday nights. We're also asking that the kids sit with their parents during this time of study for those three weeks that are out there. There will be cards on the back table for anyone that has a question on something that perhaps wasn't answered during the course of the study to write those questions out on the cards. If need be, we can do another week where we answer the questions that are on the cards from there. Also, this Friday, spring cookout at the Folding House. As always, we provide the meat, you provide the buns and the chairs to put them in. Now, people don't always recognize that you have to bring two types of buns. You guys are fantastic at bringing one set. Unless you just don't want the other, and that's fine too. Uh, but if you're wanting to have bread, those are the buns I'm talking about, just in case you guys hadn't figured that out. Uh, RSVP to me by Wednesday, this Wednesday. I need to know how many folks are coming so I know how much meat to be preparing for all of you. Starting next month, first Saturday of the month, is going to be our Rise Up Men's Study. That's for men all ages 18 and up. For that, as we deal with different subjects as it pertains to godly manhood together, we'll eat breakfast and then we'll spend some time in study. A reminder that we have the 85th anniversary coming up July 2nd and 3rd. Daniel came up last week asking for some help. There's sign-up sheets in the back for setup and cleanup for that. There's also a sign-up sheet for anyone that's wanting to be a member of the prayer group that Daniel is trying to get started. There's also a sign-up sheet for VBS. Uh, there's need for Bible teacher for VBS. I think, Amy, that is all that's left on that is from what she's telling me about that. So if you're not checking that back table for sign-up sheets on a regular basis, you're missing a lot of opportunities to serve the body and the community as we go forward through all of that. So this morning, it's not very often that I find myself actually dealing with only two verses from a passage in the scripture. Usually we deal with a whole lot more uh, as we start looking at things, but I thought this morning we need to pay attention to just two verses because these two verses set up the remainder of the chapter and the rest of what Peter is writing about in 2 Peter chapter 3. And notice what Peter says here, right? He says, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this, now beloved, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. I want us to focus in on one main idea here 
that Peter is presenting. This idea that God is calling each and every one of us to use what we already have. I love this idea, right? Because so many times we get wrapped around the axles of thinking God's calling me to do something, but I don't know what it is and I don't have it. So I don't know what to do when we find ourselves kind of frozen and you know, being a populace of the frozen chosen, not knowing what to do, or the petrified pew people, not being able to actually be who God's calling us to be. And Peter says, listen, guys, you've already gotten the information. You already know all of these things. Just use what God gave you. And one thing that each of us has, to one varying degree of success or another, is memory. Right? Right? And while we may struggle on a day-to-day basis about remembering where we put our glasses, spoiler alert, they're on your head, there are certain things that as Christians we should never forget. It's something that we have to continually fall back on to help us in our walk, to help us in our confidence as we're living to be God's people. And, And memory is strange, right? Right, memories come up in a lot of different ways, but we're called to remember just what God has done. He's given us two aspects of this through the prophets and through the apostles, okay? Now think of it this way. Anybody ever heard of priming? Priming, right? Like priming the pump. It can be applied to memory stimulus and how all of it works. And it brings about a response. So there were some experiments that were run in the 1970s. Uh, that showed that people were faster in recognizing words when they were related to another word. And this is on cards. Okay, so they would bring up a flashcard that said nurse. And then they would bring up a flashcard that said doctor. And the person had to read the card to show that they actually recognized what that word was. And people had a faster response when they showed the word nurse and then they pulled up the word doctor than when they showed the word nurse and they brought up the word bread. Because nurse had primed the memory of what ties to that easily, and doctor is just a natural word or a natural idea that ties to nurses. And so we understand, I think we even understand that that's how stimulus works in our memory. Anybody ever smelled something and was taken back in time? Ever heard something? (laughs) Kendall, you're not supposed to be laughing that hard. Heard something? and was taken back to a specific memory, saw something, and it was like you were reliving that idea, that's priming. That's applying a stimulus to your memory to help you understand that. And Peter says, what I'm trying to do here is apply a stimulus that's going to put you into a state of remembrance. That's why he says, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. And this is going to be vital, guys. Context is going to bear out why this is so important because look at the next verse when he says, know this, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following their own lusts. We've got to have this reminder so we know, A, who to listen to, and B, why we're doing what we're doing. Okay? So he says, I'm going to stir you up. I want to put you into a state of remembrance, and I need you to remember very specific truths. He's calling us to into a position of thinking and memory that stands in the light of God's approval. And by entering into this state, 
we're gonna be able to see things with a clarity that we were not necessarily maybe able to see before because of all of the confusion and chaos that we may find ourselves surrounded with. And understand that this is actually one of the purposes of all scripture, isn't it? That as we read through it, it's supposed to stir up our memory, right? Because how many, how many of us have been reading a specific verse and go, oh man, that reminds me of this verse over here. And then you go and you read that and you're like, oh, that's right. It reminds me of this verse over here. And you find yourself following a chain of events in the scriptures of what memory has done for you. To get us to see, to remember things God's way. That's what Peter is trying to do for us here. In Arthur Conan Doyle's book, A Study in Scarlet, Holmes is talking to Watson, and if you're familiar enough with Sherlock Holmes, you know how this guy's brain worked, if you've read any of the books. But he had said, describing how his brain works, he had said, I consider that a man's brain originally is like a little empty attic. And some of you are probably sitting there thinking, and nothing has changed since then, but no. And he says, I consider that a man's brain is originally like a little empty attic, and you have to stock it with such furniture as you choose. A fool takes in all the lumber of every sort that he comes across so that the knowledge which might be useful to him gets crowded out or at best is jumbled up with a lot of other things so that he has a difficulty in laying his hands upon them. A skillful workman is very careful indeed as to what he takes into his brain addict. Brain addict. You ever had that problem? Where you know you've got the information stored up there, but you've got so much other junk up there, you can't lay your hands on it when you're thinking about it? Whose fault is that? It's not God's fault that you stuffed a bunch of useful, useless information up in there and crowded out all of his stuff. That's your fault. That's my fault that we do these things. And if we're going to use Peter's writings according to his intended purpose, then we're going to understand that what Peter is trying to do is help us in the retrieval of information. Make it purposeful. And when we can do these things, when we can actually listen to what he says, it's like, listen, okay, I get it. He's stirring me up uh, by a sincere mind, by way of reminder that we remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. We're gonna actually begin to actively remember the things that we have heard, the things that have been said to us. And this is not done incidentally. This means that we have to prime the pump. We actually have to put ourselves into a position daily where we are being reminded of how God sees things. Guys, if we're not allowing ourselves to be put into that position, how are we going to see things the way God sees things? And we put ourselves into a position of frustration and we go, ah, I don't understand this whole Christianity thing. It's just too hard. Is it really? Or are we just making things more difficult than what they need to be?
maybe what we need to be doing is spend some time priming the pump, spending some time in God's word, talking to him, letting him talk to us through his word, remembering the things that we've been told. And when we remember those things, we get excited. We're a little bit more enthusiastic about the way we go about living life. And we know the truth of this. You know how I know that? Because we experience it in almost every other avenue of life. Anybody ever been to a family reunion? Okay, family reunion, funeral, wedding, whatever. You got a bunch of families sitting around and what ends up, what what starts happening? Uncle Cooter starts telling a story, right? And from that story, here comes Grammy with her story. And from that story comes this story and that story. And all of a sudden, everybody is remembering how Cousin Vinny was just a little bit embarrassing as a child and did weird things. And that brings up another memory and another memory, all because one person decided to tell a story from memory. And it primed the pump for everybody else. And so not only does this stirring up by way of reminder, by putting ourselves in the position of a sincere mind to remember the things that we've been told, okay, not only does that prime the pump for us individually in our memory and help us understand and see things the way God sees things, now guess what it does? Now I'm enthusiastic about these things and I go up to Hunter and I say, man, do you remember in the scriptures when it says this? And Hunter goes, yeah, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of when God was talking to Moses over here. And then Bud comes in and says, oh man, but you know, that also reminds me that this is what happens over here, which by the way is basically how our life group has been this time around. Of just being enthusiastic about what God says and excited and sharing the memories with each other. And this is the way God designed us to operate. Each of us will file and classify memories in our mind. And they'll be done in specific ways as we live throughout our lives. First, we have positive memories. We all have them, and they make valuable gifts when we're passing them on to the future. Second, we have positive, unpleasant memories. Okay? Positive, unpleasant memories, and we keep those because of the benefit, the insights, the lessons that we learned along the way. And then we have unpleasant memories. These are painful, and they're caustic, and they have no benefit whatsoever. And of these three classifications of memories, guess which ones are the only ones worth holding on to according to what Peter is talking about in both of his letters? The first and the second. Memory can either work for us or it can work against us. And Satan would love it if we would believe that the most important thing to remember is our sin. Satan would love it 
if, if we would say that the most important thing that we would remember are those painful, caustic experiences that have no benefit whatsoever. Peter tells us the thing to remember is actually, who's believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of, for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we're healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter and like a sheep that's silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied, and by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. We do understand that Isaiah 53 is not about us dwelling and living in our sin and making that the constant reminder and state that we live in, right? That Isaiah 53 is presenting to us a life free from that sin because of the Christ. And is that not what Peter had said that we need to be stirring ourselves up to remember according to the words of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Jesus through his apostles? But boy, wouldn't Satan love it if we would just twist that around and not focus on the intercession and not focus on the redemption. And honestly, Isaiah 53 is just one small piece for us to remember. But it's those memories that carry us through the challenges we face. It's what gives us the strength, the boldness, the courage to do what God says to do. If only we would remember. If only we would put a priority on remembering. 
Real quick question for you guys. How many of us know who you are? It's not a trick question. How many of you know who you are? Seriously, me and Diane, a couple of, we have a lot of confusion going on here if you don't know who you are. Butch, you don't know who you are? Yeah, you do. He's Butch. How many of us know who we are? Come on. Thank you. How many of us know whose we are? Oh, yeah. See, it's not just about remembering who we are. It's about remembering whose we are. Because that's where hope, that's where grace, that's where mercy is found. That's where life is lived, is in remembering whose you are. We used to say that to our kids all the time when they were leaving the house to go do something that we didn't know what they were going to do or they were going out with friends. And we'd say, hey, remember who you are and whose you are. Namely, don't embarrass me because I will come smack you. But it's kind of the same thing with our Lord, right? We don't want to live lives that are embarrassing to him, that would bring shame upon him. That's not why we have these memories. That's not why Peter calls us to remember what was spoken of our Lord. It's so that we can remember who we are, or actually more accurately be who we were and whose we are. Because the life that we're called to live, the memories that we're called to carry is meant to bring hope to us individually, to us corporately as a church, but also hope to the world that we live in. And we should never feel like it's never our place to stir up each other by way of reminder what God has done for us. There's always a place for that. This is one of those moments, right? Where we stand and we sing a song, and traditionally this is done as, as a part of the invitation time period of the worship service. Where we stand up and we sing, and people are like, well, okay, I have some sins to confess, so I'm going to come down and I'm going to do that. We just let them do it, and we pray for them. And it's great. It's wonderful, right? But is this also not an opportunity for us to stir them up by way of reminder of whose they are? To encourage, not just in that moment, but as a continual thing. And we make it a part of the life that we live together. And you think if people see that, they won't notice about it, take notice of it, and see some difference in it? And that they might actually gain some benefit from that? I commit today to you that I will always remember whose I am. And when I forget, I expect you to come and smack me and wake me up on that. Is anybody else willing to take that stand and commitment with me this morning? Amen. We commit to each other that we will never forget whose we are, and we commit to each other that we will always stand there to help each other to remember whose we are. If you have any need this morning, if you're ready to become a Christian, you have sins that you feel need to be confessed and receive the compassion and help and encouragement from the church, 
You need counsel from the elders. Whatever it is we can do for you this morning, we encourage you to make that known by coming forward while Brian leads this in song.